0: The Patriots' playoff push continues out in Vegas as they take on the Raiders. The Bruins and Celtics stumble a little bit; but they're still the best in their respective leagues. And why the Red Sox are closer be- to being a last place team than a first place team. This is the press pass. I am Chris Ryan. Appreciate you joining us. The New England Patriots are at seven and six, facing another must-win game against the team they should beat. This time, it's against old friend Josh McDaniels and the Las Vegas Raiders. It is on Sunday, a little after 4 o'clock, the kickoff on that one. This, after the Patriots defeated the Arizona Cardinals, 27-13. to Really buoyed by their defense in this one. I'm going to hear from Gerard Mayo on that in just a little bit, and also Steve Belichick, as the Patriots saw a plethora of injuries not just before the game, as they're without Damian Harris, as well as Jacoby Myers, but during in the game, Ramondre Stevenson went down. So, Patriots really grasping at straws on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we'll see if they get Harris and Myers back this week. Ramondre Stevenson is not going to play. So, where do things sit in regard to the playoff picture for the Patriots right now? They are currently in the seventh spot with a record of seven and six. They're there because they have tiebreakers with the Chargers, better record than the AFC, and with the Jets beating them in both matchups this season. The Chargers, I think, are actually going to leapfrog their way into um, the highest wildcard spot just because they have a very easy schedule remaining. They should win three out of their four remaining games. Um, the Patriots, I think, are battling mostly with the Dolphins as well as with the Jets for that final playoff spot. The Dolphins have a couple tough games, including at New England on New Year's Day. The Bengals, I think they're going to um, continue to move up, perhaps overtake the Baltimore Ravens. So the Patriots could find themselves in the sixth or seventh playoff spot. They could also find themselves on the outside looking in. They have four games left and three out of the four are tough ones. Two of them are at home, though. This game against the Raiders, they need to win. Then it's the Bengals, a tough game at home on Christmas Eve. Then the Dolphins come in on on New Year's Day before the Patriots go to Buffalo to take on the Bills. We talked about before, Patriots do not want that game to mean anything. You want to have your playoff position sewed up before you get to that. Uh, so what does that mean? That means that the Patriots need to win the next three games, the Raiders, the Bengals and the Dolphins. Certainly achievable, but a bit of a lift for the Patriots for sure. So, the Patriots offense was better in the game against the Cardinals, but still predictable. Still Mac Matt jo- Matt Jones didn't look comfortable in the pocket. I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line, right? I mean Trent Brown's been struggling with uh, illness and the Patriots have had significant Issues there. David Andrews is playing hurt, so I think the offensive line is a big part of this. I think the play calling is a big part of it, and I do feel that Mac Jones just is not comfortable right now, and that could well, have a lot to do with the first two things I mentioned. Matt Patricia was taking jabs the entire broadcast from Troy Aikman as well as Joe Buck, and he's hearing it from pretty much everybody at this point in time. And certainly, some of the criticism is warranted at this point. I talked with. Patriots de facto offensive coordinator play caller Matt Patricia
1: hey Matt how are you good Chris how are we doing
0: I am well um I'm just curious you know how you're dealing with a lot of the outside noise where everybody on Twitter each youth football coach each broadcaster feel ideas about what the Patriots should be doing on offense and and how do you you know deal with that type of uh noise
1: yeah um you know, I think we're, we do a pretty good job here at kind of training ourselves to kind of, you know, just, we stay in our own little bubble for the most part and, and try to ignore as much of that as we can. And, um, you know, we, we understand what we're trying to do. We're trying to just do everything we can to get better each week. And that's our focus, you know, the focus has got to be inside to, uh, inside the building, just trying to, you know, do everything we can to do a little bit better. So really try to, um, you know, I don't really pay attention to too much of it if I can.
0: And, you know, how do you view that process going right now and and coming off of particularly that time leading into the Cardinals game, do you feel like, you know, you found some things a little more rhythm within the offense guys are feeling more comfortable. You're feeling more comfortable uh, over this remaining stretch.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a growth process every single week and, and some weeks um, you know, are a little bit better than others. Obviously we haven't had the consistency that we want, you know, all the way through. And I think that's the biggest part of it. Um, You know, maybe a couple of weeks ago had, some good production and then, you know, um last game before this last one, um, uh, you know, not so much, and then maybe a little bit better this one. So um some of those the process has been, you know, very similar and um uh, maybe, you know, kind of got some things a little bit uh cleaned up from maybe what it was before, which is good and it's good to see that on the field. Um, but um, you know, we're just we're just working through it. Thanks. You're welcome.
0: Let's head to the defensive side of the ball and talk with Gerard Mayo. Hey Gerard, how are you?
2: Good. How are you, Chris?
0: Good. On the Raiders for a second, you know, you mentioned their high-level talent is as good as as anybody, and Jacobs had a great year and all that. But what's been the disconnect? Has it been the injuries in between? You know, being talented, putting up numbers, and having you know success as a unit.
2: I think oftentimes, you know, when you bring a new head coach in, you know, everyone wants that instant success, and it's not always that way. And I don't care if you're talking about you know sports or you're talking about corporate America, which I've been in both. Like when you try to change a culture, it's like trying to turn the Titanic. And so, you know, the expectations obviously are high when you bring in those high level players. But at the same time, they've never been, you know, fully healthy. And there's you still have guys really trying to buy into the system. You still have guys you're trying to get rid of. And so I think Josh is an outstanding coach. I think Pat Graham's an outstanding coach, Nick Lombardi, outstanding coach. And they just need time. And oftentimes in this profession, you just don't have time. And so we'll see what happens uh, as far as this weekend. And we're totally just focused on going out there and performing well, you know, uh, for the Patriot fans and, and for each other. So
0: have you kept in touch with Josh throughout the season or you just kind of, you know, let him do his thing? You're doing yours.
2: You know, during the season, it's tough to really keep in contact with a lot of guys. You know, uh, I talk to uh, Pat Graham you know, every once in a while and I, I've, I've seen Josh. uh one time during the season, but other than that, like, you know, the only free time we get, at least here in new England, you know, I got to spend that with my family, you know, with my kids and stuff. So. I
0: want to ask you about the Arizona game for a second, you know, obviously a focus going into this season throughout the year has been to be a, you know, a bigger, faster, more athletic defense. And it feels like that's been happening over the last number of weeks And the Arizona game, kind of exemplified that with, you know, tip balls, pursuit and all, and all those aspects of the game. And what do you, seeing and how much has Josh Uche helped in his advanced role in making him more athletic and fast
2: I would say you know from a uh, from a defensive perspective we're nowhere near uh, what we're capable of and every game that we play you know we go back and watch the film and we say this is you know these are the plays we left out there on the field and as you continue to progress throughout the season you can't you can't leave plays out on the field you know the better the team the more you gotta have the more you have to go out there and execute and you know uche and Judon and lawrence guy and and Gasha, all those guys are doing a great job up front and second level those guys are getting better as as the year progresses bentley you know one of the most probably underrated linebackers in the league not sure why he doesn't get much publicity but he's one of the best backers in the league and then you look at our safeties you know, probably one of the best groups in the league. But at the same time, with all that being said, we just have to put it all together. And that's us. That's on us as a coaching staff. That's on the players uh, to go out there and execute and really have that focus on a down after down basis. Thanks. I appreciate it. Here's Steve Belichick. Hey, Steve, how are you?
0: I'm great. How are you doing? Also good. Um wanted to ask you about, you know, Raquan McMillan and a play that that he made obviously on the Duggar strip. And there's not there's availability, but there's also making sure that guys are ready to maximize on their opportunities. How do you go about making sure that guys that maybe you know aren't within um, playing as much as they'd like to play, that they stay engaged and that they when their opportunity does exist, they take advantage of it.
3: Yeah, I've never never had any concerns about that with. With Raekwon, I mean, last year he was on injury reserve. He's in every single meeting. He was just as dialed in as every player who was active for the game. And this year, whether he gets all the reps or no reps uh, on all packages or just one or two packages, it doesn't matter. Guy's a true professional, and he's always ready to go. I can We we can always count on Raekwon.
0: Yeah, I wasn't speaking – I wasn't asking about him specifically, but just kind of generally, you know, when when guys aren't getting the reps, you know, that they want you want to make sure that they are able to get to, you know, where they need to be when the opportunity presents itself.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of that's kind of football, you know, you try and run different plays to different looks and different stuff. The offense does and um, not everybody can get the same the same play. There's there's just not enough reps to um, for everybody to see the same thing the same look so you got to encourage those guys to take mental reps and um and see the see the plays through other people's eyes um and yeah we just we try and do the best we can with that but that's just the that's just the way it goes
0: want to ask about the run as well and the job that godshaw and guy have done in the middle um, seems like that's been a, a huge focus and a lot of the other aspects of your game have come off of uh, of being able to stop the run.
3: Yeah, that's always a, a critical part of our defense, being able to stop the run. Um, those guys inside, they always do a great job. We know we can count on them. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Marcus Jones has been one of the better stories of the Patriots this year. The rookie has flourished as a returner both in the punting game and on kickoff returns as well. And we've started to see a lot more of him in the offense as well, as he's had some big plays there. But where he shined the most in the game against the Cardinals was actually as a cornerback. He got interceptions, some big hits as well. I talked with Troy Brown, of course, who's played in all three aspects of the game for the Patriots and has been mentoring Marcus Jones. Hey, Troy, how are you? I'm great. How you? Good. I wanted to ask you as a guy that's played in all three phases, um, for your take on what we saw from Marcus last night at such a high level.
4: Uh, you know, just he's a good athlete, you know, and he's a, you know, a willing player that's wanting to go out there and help his team win. So, you know, anytime you have a guy like that that can go out there and help your team make some plays and help us put us in a winning position, you know, you got to have him on the field. So, mean uh, like, so he, he's doing a fantastic job for us. And, you know, he just got to, you know, figure out a way to keep him involved out there. So, yep.
0: From a logistical perspective, I mean, how hard is it to go from, you know, one group, make corrections there, go to another group, then you jump out of the field? Is it, you know, instinctual for a guy like Marcus or like you? Or is there, you know, something that gets lost? Like, what's the logistics of doing what he or you did?
4: Well, just the special teams coaches, Cam and Joe, they've done a great job of communicating and, and Mike and those guys on the defensive side of the ball have done, done a good job of communicating with us on the offensive side of the ball to kind of make things a little bit easier for him. But, you know, you're a willing player like Marcus is to do anything to help his team win. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure how hard it is for him, but it makes it, it seem like it's not that big of a deal to him. So yeah, he does a good job of being ready to go, you know, when he's on and off the field from a certain uh, uh, phase of the game. He does a good job of being ready and being in the place where we can find him and get him out there if we decide to, use them on the offensive side of the ball. So, I mean, so it's just a communication process between the coaches really to get them in the right place and to have them ready to go and, you know, get, the, get those corrections made that need to be made at the, at the proper time. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Now
0: to the Celtics, who still have the best record in the NBA, despite going two and two on their West Coast trip. They lost to two good teams, the Warriors and the Clippers. They beat the hell out of a good team. In the Phoenix Suns and beat the Lakers in overtime. So, two and two for the Celtics. Uh, a big night last night as Rob Williams returned for the first time this season to the Boston Celtics lineup. And I talked with uh, Celtics guard Malcolm Brogdon. What's your sense about where things are at for the group kind of coming off of the road trip?
5: I think we're in a really good place. Um, I thought we had a very successful road trip. That's a tough road trip to, to be on, man. We played six good teams. Um, and, of course, two of the games we, we lost didn't play how we wanted to, but to come off 4-2 and two and to learn what we did and uh, finish it off with a win, I think that's huge for us.
0: How important is it to have kind of some variables throughout the course of the year, too, the ups, the downs, getting guys back like Al and also Rob?
5: It's extremely important. Um, you know, even when guys go down, uh, when guys don't play well, and, you know, whatever the obstacle is, if, I think if, if, as long as the team is mature and, you um, You know stays together I think you can use all of those as positives and I think that's what we're doing.
0: What was your perception of Jalen and Jason as leaders on the outside and players and how has it perhaps been different than playing with them?
5: Uh, I think they have you know I think the media likes to paint especially in the past that they don't get along or you know that they have trouble playing together I think we've seen for me I've seen the opposite of that being within the organization playing on their team they get along extremely well off the court on the court and then they play really well together and feed off each other and play off each other so um, you know I think that's what the team needed in order for this team to take another big step is for them individually to get and take another step in their stardom but also take another step in terms of playing well together and I think they've done both of those things.
2: Back
0: to back games against Orlando here is that something you like playing the same team twice in a short time period?
5: Uh, It doesn't really matter Um, it's just one of those things even more you got to lock into because we're the we're the hunted at this point. We're the ones with the target on our back. So, uh, a team like Orlando is going to play us hard both nights. They play hard. They got a lot of young guys in size. And both nights they're going to, uh, you know, try to help physical us.
0: Now to the Boston Bruins, who are still hockey's best with 48 points in 29 games. Their record 23-4-2, but nipping at their heels now. The Toronto Maple Leafs as well as the New Jersey Devils so the Bruins have it's kind of I'm not gonna say struggled but they have uh not played their best over the last stretch you know blowing a game out in Arizona to a really bad coyotes team uh just getting a point against the Los Angeles Kings who had been struggling mightily as of late. I talked with the Bruins Nick Felino about where things are at for the
6: Bruins. As a
0: veteran, is there something special about this group and what kind
6: of differentiates itself from other teams you played on? Yeah, big time. I think you, as a guy who's played a long time, uh, you see it when you have it. There's just there's a there's a cohesiveness, there's a bond that's you know just impenetrable. And this group just seems to have that. They understand, we understand, you know how important it is to have that relationship off the ice that bleeds onto the ice and uh, the care and the concern, the family atmosphere and. Um, you know it's amazing how that's something a lot of teams search for. And when you have it, you want to hold on to it, and it's something that this group—I mean, led by Bergie and Marsh and Pasta—and there's a there's a real care in here that that uh, you know for every aspect of a player. And I think when guys come in there, they're almost shocked by it, and they but it, it sucks them in, and you just feel like you're just a, you know a one of the guys pretty quickly, and it's amazing how that just goes right onto the ice.
0: How important are variables during a season where a team you know doesn't play well in certain areas, or you're yeah. not oh, where yeah. you need to be? Because obviously, you want to run the table, you want to have success yeah, just, in each period. This whole 60-minute coach thing. But like, is it important to struggle at times? And and do you see this as being kind of one of those time periods where you're going through kind of some corrections?
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I said that like I don't, I, corrections is tough because I still think a lot of our game, our process has been really good. I think it's just understanding that we're going to get teams best every single time now. You know, we're the we're the mark for everybody, and, and so when you have that. You have to keep a mindset of being the hunter, not the hunted. And I think just sometimes when teams are behind against us, they're 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 on their toes, and we have to realize that and get back on ours. And so just that understanding that, un- that who we are and how we have to have success now that we're the team that teams are gunning for, and, and keep that, that hunter mindset, and um, that's going to bode well for us going into the playoffs and uh, as the season progresses here. You know, as we go and further in crunch time, the, I always say there's levels throughout the season. There's going to be another level after Christmas, another level after trade deadline. And um, you know, I think we're a team that still feels like there's room to grow, which is exciting with the record we have. Um, but all the while well knowing that you know we're a real good team in here, we're building something special.
0: So You want to dictate, basically. Like, you don't want to be the team no. that's you're going to. Re- we to start off slow. Active. That right. Yeah.
6: yeah, and I think that's what you've seen a little bit. We we've had not had the starts that we normally have. Where we're coming and we're in, in your face, and uh, and that's yeah. something oh, yeah. that we can fix. We we know that, and and so it's exciting, and uh, and it, it bodes well for our group because there's there's always you want always areas to improvement and this team's hungry to always try to get better so uh, we're never quite happy. We're not going to be happy with where we're at right now in, in December. We're, we're working towards April, May, and June, so um, we know there's areas we can improve in and get better, but we do like our process and know that if we get to that more times than not, we're going to win hockey games. I want
0: to ask you about the depth as well. As you've been playing on quote fourth line. What does that mean in terms of where you guys want to go, having
6: the four lines, the three deep
0: airs that can all kind of be interchangeable?
6: I think it's just the confidence within the group. I mean, there's, there's such a... First of all, anyone playing in the lineup knows that there's a guy... Either below them or above them that can do the job just as well. So when you have that internal competition, it just drives you to play your best. And you know, and, and I think for us too, we know no matter who's going over the boards there's going to be the same details there's going to be the same mindset of how we need to play and, and it, it just it makes it scary for teams because they just there's no matchup they, they can't get a matchup that's favorable for them and I think we feel confident any time that our, any of our lines are going over any of our D pairs we just match up well against everybody so that's why everyone talks about depth and when you have really good players playing in your bottom six um, it's a scary thing uh, to look across and see that so uh, we hope that you know it continues and, and we stay healthy and, and we do the things necessary to be that team for you know for what we're expecting to become this year. We
0: Appreciate it. Thanks, man.
6: Thanks. Nick Foligno
0: right there of the Boston Bruins. Before we end the show with a very special treat, conversation with the greatest defensive player in NFL history, Lawrence Taylor. I want to touch base briefly on the Boston Red Sox. And the Red Sox trotted out a couple of free agent signings over the last uh, couple of days. But I want to be really honest about the situation here. I have covered the Boston Red Sox as a reporter since 2002, and pretty much each and every season, and this one's not over yet, this offseason is not over yet, uh, I have been positive about what the team is going to be able to do going into the year. I don't feel good about this team going into the 2022 season. I look at the AL East, and I am more confident in them finishing last than in first. And I don't have much confidence at all when it comes to them making you know, the postseason. Are they going to be able to change that? Are they going to make some deals? I thought Scott Boris said something that was really important. And it's if the Red Sox want to do something, if they want to sign guys, they can do it. But they don't want to sign guys. They didn't want to sign Xander Bogarts. They didn't have the desire to bring him back at his market rate and negotiate with him in a significant way leading into the free agency period. As I've mentioned before, once Bogart's hit the free agent uh, marketplace, it was gone. It was coming back. It's going to be a much better offer out there for him at that point. And that one stings. It really does. And again, I am not optimistic about the, the Red Sox going into this season. I think that that feeling is shared by many individuals. Well, you heard me allude to this interview last week with Bill Belichick. Uh, here's the interview that I was mentioning, parts of it with uh, Lawrence Taylor as I caught up with him at an autograph show a couple weeks ago. LT, who is the most difficult quarterback to sack
6: None of, of your era? <laughs> I had to play them here. <laughs> <laughs> How about this era? How would you do with, with Lamar and Mahomes?
2: Mahomes, hey, listen, he's like going to come in. He's going to run. He's going to try to make space. And stuff. All you got to do is just say, hey, sit there in one spot and wait for him to come to you.
1: Okay?
2: <laughs> <laughs> we were going to put him in the
1: hospital long day. How important was Belichick to you?
2: Belichick is good, but I mean, my main is Bill Parcells. Right? Yeah. Bill talks to me. I go straight up to the head coach. I don't stop at the defensive coordinator, <laughs> no. If I want something done, I go to the head coach.
4: Good to see you, man. All right, guys. Appreciate
2: but it. Well, Bill Belichick, he's, he's a great coach. So he's a great coach. God, Parcells is a better, ring, coach. right?
0: That's certainly a really good debate. And, you know, I hear LT on that, but it's difficult to look past Bill Belichick's six, you know, Super Bowl rings and also know the role that Belichick had in getting Bill Parcells his, you know, two, uh, two Super Bowl rings. You know, Parcells has the bigger, more dynamic personality, you know, the big Cheshire uh, Cheshire Cat smile and all that, um, and is more engaging outwardly. But, you know, is he a better coach than Bill Belichick? You know, I mean, the results indicate that Belichick is the better coach. Now you say, well, how would Belichick do if you take Tom Brady out of that equation? What great you know, Hall of Fame quarterbacks did Bill Parcells have? And, you know, certainly that's a big part of it, uh, right? I mean, he had that great player in Tom Brady, but, you know, Parcells' defenses with Belichick were outstanding, some of the best ever. And, you know, I, I can hear LT on that. And, you know, he obviously has the experience of having played for, you know, both of them. I think both are amongst the greatest coaches of all time. And it's been interesting how... Parcels you know, Parcells over the last number of years has kind of fallen off. And you look at, you know, how he moved around, the lack of success he had with, you know, the uh, Jets and the Cowboys, and, you know, his stock definitely went down after that. Belichick has also been in the same place now for over 20 years. Thanks for joining us for the Press Pass. I am Chris Ryan.